This is Tailgate Till May, part of the Believe Podcast Network. If you love college sports and you like to have a little action on the games, then this is the place for you because I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I love both of those things too. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be here for a national championship preview edition of Tailgate Till May. But before I dive into the Washington-Michigan National Championship game, just a quick reminder, you can find me across all social media platforms at the same handle, at Gorg on Sports. That is the best place to follow all of my picks throughout college basketball season because I'm going to be posting a lot there. Not a great start to the opening weekend of conference play or at least conference play across all the major conferences for me going a uh, uh, not wonderful one and four on a big Saturday of college basketball. That's okay. I'm going to stay on that horse. Going to keep grinding through it and uh, try to get back on track here now that Football season is officially coming to a close. We have one more FBS game left and what a game it's going to be. And that's where I want to start today. I want to start by talking about why I'm so excited for this game. I think this is pretty easily and without question, the national championship game in the college football playoff era that I am most excited for ahead of the game. This is a game, you know, we, we've had some good championship games. We've talked a lot about, no matter whether you listen to my show, whether you listen to other shows, what you're listening to, I feel like there's been a lot of talk over the past week or so about how we finally got two outstanding semifinal games, and that's not something we've had a lot of in the past. We We haven't had two great semifinal games until the last two years when we've had uh, two great games both of these years. So I feel like going out of the semifinals at times, it's made the championship games feel like, you know, not lacking in excitement, but just the the lopsided nature of those semifinal games has maybe diminished some of the excitement heading into a championship game. But we've ended up having a lot of really good championship games. Uh, the Alabama-Clemson games in 2016 and 2017 were fantastic. Of course, in 2018, when Talia Tung, not Talia Tungavailoa, I watched too much Maryland football, when Tua Tungavailoa, came into the game in place of Jalen Hurts, ends up throwing the game-winning touchdown in the Georgia Dome against Georgia. Jeez, not the Georgia Dome either, the Mercedes-Benz Dome. For those of you who aren't Maryland fans, this is all too Maryland-related because Maryland won their one and only basketball national championship in the Georgia Dome. So the stadium that the Falcons play in will forever, to me, be the Georgia Dome. But either way, a fantastic national championship there. That's probably the most memorable national championship is that Tua Tungavailoa game-winning touchdown pass in overtime. That's that's the one that's probably burned into everybody's memory, whether you're an Alabama fan, whether you're a Georgia fan, or you're just a college football fan. That was a fantastic national title game. Then we had a couple blowouts. Clemson blows out Alabama, and that was, a one, that was the one in Levi's Stadium where the 49ers play, in my opinion, not the venue for a college football national championship game, and certainly not one between Clemson and Alabama. Then the next year, LSU kind of blows out Clemson in 
what is maybe the best offense that we've seen in the modern era with with uh, LSU there. So that one not great in the 2020 season. Alabama beats Ohio State 52 to 24, and then Georgia finally claims their first national title, beating Alabama. I thought that was a good game in Indy. I thought that was a good game for what it represented, Georgia finally getting over the hump, getting their first national championship since the 80s, finally beating Alabama, getting over that Alabama hump, getting redemption, not only for that national championship game they lost a couple years earlier, but for the SEC championship, they lost just a few weeks earlier to Alabama. So I thought that ended up actually being a very good game between a couple very good defenses. And I know a lot of people were not into the rematch nature of that. But guess what, guys? We're going to get a lot more rematches here when we get into the 12-team playoff era. It's something we're just going to have to deal with and view it a little bit more like basketball. It's just a change. It's just different. But we are going to see more and more of these rematches. And then last year, uh, another blowout in the championship game. So I feel like it's been you know, kind of 50-50, whether we get a great game or whether we get a blowout. And I guess the only year I didn't go through here was the very first year where Ohio State beat Oregon in that national championship game. And Ohio State wins that one 42 to 20. I remember that one feeling a lot closer throughout the game, but it's 10 years ago now. And and I don't have the greatest recollection of it, but I, it felt like that game was closer for a lot of it between Ohio State and Oregon. Um, but the final score, 42 to 20 in that one. I'm just going back here, looking at the play-by-play on that. I mean, it was 21-10 Ohio State at halftime. It was 21-7. It was 21-20 at one point in the third quarter. Okay, so it was a closer game throughout, but ultimately Ohio State wins by 20. So I think it's like 50-50, 50-50, whether we get a 20-point margin of victory or an instant classic in these national championship games. But I can't remember a national championship game that I have been this excited for in this whole era. And I think it has a lot to do with what I talked about last week after these semifinal games is this represents something new. We have Washington trying to win their first national championship since the 90s. Michigan trying to win their first national championship since the 90s. Michigan is trying to get over this hump. They've been there in the college ball playoff two years in a, or three years in a row now. They finally get their first win. This seems like the kind of culmination of all the work that Harbaugh has put in there to build this program back up since taking over. And it seems kind of like the, this is the culmination of all of that because Michigan was not in a great place. Michigan was not in a good place at all. When Harbaugh took over, Michigan didn't feel like they were probably in a great place or a lot of Michigan fans didn't feel like they were in a great place after losing to Ohio state all those times, even in the Harbaugh era. And now they are here. It's a great story. And then Washington, you know, really new kid on the block comes out of nowhere. They're in the twenties in the talent composite ratings on 24 seven sports. This is not a recruiting powerhouse. This is not a blue blood program. Michigan hasn't had that national success, but Michigan is a brand, a huge brand with the biggest football stadium in the country. And then you have 
Washington that it is not all that. They are the new kid on the block, but they have this dynamic offense. They have a quarterback who I think should have won the Heisman Trophy, and I've been on that train well before they beat Texas in that semifinal game. Uh, You have a coach who was not the name that Harbaugh was when he came to Michigan. He's a guy who was the head coach at Fresno State before that. He was an offensive coordinator at Indiana. He's from South Dakota, and he's just worked his way up. And I think for most people, myself included, if I ran into Kalen DeBoer on the street, I don't think most people would recognize him. I think that holds true for a lot of people that are not Washington fans, a lot of people that are not on the West Coast. So it's it's it, this represents something different. This isn't Alabama-Clemson for the third time. This isn't Georgia and Alabama going at it because we had this time period here where it felt like, it really felt like over the past couple of years, and let's call it, I mean, I would even call it I don't know, five, six years where it felt like you could either have, there was only a couple options. It was Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, maybe Clemson. And Clemson was different from those three because Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama are all just recruiting powerhouses. It felt like these three schools were just stockpiling talent and it was inevitable that they were going to be the national champions. And it felt like they were they were such a tier above the rest of the sport. And then Clemson, a very good recruiting program, but they did a little bit differently. And they did have uh, guys who kind of made up for that talent a little bit or, or not having the five-star talent too deep at every position when you do have a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, who was the five-star of five stars. You do have LSU come along for one year, an incredible year with Joe Burrow and that unbelievable offense, but it really felt like it was a foregone conclusion every year that it was going to be Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, the three recruiting superpowers. And that's not the case this year. It feels different. It feels exciting. And I do this draft every year with my friends, my three three really good buddies, my three best friends I've known for now, I don't know, shoot, 17 years. 17 years since we were freshmen in college. And we, for essentially the whole college football playoff era, I'd have to actually look. I would be interested to see how many years we've done this. But we've done this draft at the beginning of the season where we draft teams, college football teams, based on how many wins we think they're going to get. That's the scoring system is how many wins. You get a point for every win, and then you get some bonus points for winning the conference, going to the playoff, et cetera, things like that. And it felt like every year when we did this pool and we've been doing it, it's just four of us. So the first round is four picks and you're only allowed to draft one team per conference. We've been doing it since 2016. So almost the whole college ball playoff era. And I would have to look to make sure to have to look to confirm, but I would bet in, I don't know, 90% of those years, Alabama, Ohio State and Georgia were three of the four teams selected in the first round. And if not all three of them, certainly two of them 
in every year that we had done that. And it just kind of felt like a foregone conclusion that every year those were going to be the teams there. And in some ways that is fun because you're you're dealing with these superpowers. You, you know, that 2021 Georgia team is maybe the best defense that I've ever seen, or it's certainly in the conversation as one of the best defenses that I've ever seen. I think some of those Miami defenses have to be up there from the early 2000s. But it just felt like it was a foregone conclusion every year. And in some ways, that's fun because you're dealing with superpowers. You're dealing with teams that you know you're going to be telling your kids and grandkids about in 20, 30, 40 years from now. But in other ways, it makes things a little boring. It makes it feel like you're just going through the motions on a season because you know at the end of the day, these three teams are going to be there. And that is not the case with Michigan. That is not the case with Washington. Yes, Michigan has been very good. They've been very close. But if you remember that Orange Bowl against Georgia a couple seasons ago, that was in that 2021 season, they looked world's different than Georgia. Yeah, they were in the college ball playoff, but they looked like they belonged in that game as much as Cincinnati belonged in the game with Alabama. It was clear Cincinnati and Michigan were the two overmatched teams. And now Michigan, 60 minutes away from the national championship, they're favored for this national championship. So I, I'm really excited about this game for, for all of those reasons. I'm also excited about this game because it's such a fun clash of styles. When you look at this Washington team, it's the big play. It's the pass game. It's a dynamic quarterback. I talked about it last week. Each of these things is elite at something. Washington is elite in the passing game. Michael Penix is an elite quarterback. They have elite wide receivers in Romo Dunze, Jalen Polk, and Jalen McMillan. Those are guys that go up and they get 50-50 balls. It is a fun offense to watch and on the other side Michigan's defense is what's elite a Michigan's defense is elite on a down-to-down basis Michigan's defense is elite at stopping big plays I'm sounding like PJ Fleck here with how much I'm saying elite but these two teams are really really good at particular things and they happen to be opposite things and that's so much fun It's so much fun because, again, for years, I felt like we were seeing mirror images of each other in Georgia and Alabama because – and it makes sense, right? Kirby Smart, fantastic football coach. He coached under another fantastic football coach, maybe the best of all time in Nick Saban. It makes sense that those teams would be defensive first – defense first teams, defensive focused uh, built in a similar fashion built in a similar manner they would be mirror images of each other but again it gets a little boring I love the fact that we have two teams that are so different that want to play completely different styles of play that Michigan wants to line up run power run the ball as many times as they possibly can hold it and then shut you down defensively. They want to limit the number of possessions in the game. And Washington, well, you know, they like to get up and down, but it's not that they're like this 
ultra fast paced team it's just that they're really damn effective with that pass game they're really good at throwing the ball especially down the field so i'm so excited to see this contrast of styles and see who comes out on top so now let's get to the actual picks in this game and if you've been following along with me all year you've been you've been tracking what i've been doing then you know I picked Michigan to win the national title. I bet them at 10 to 1 back on June. I put this bet in June 11th, 2023. It w- it's now, what, seven months ago. Seven, almost exactly seven months ago, I put this bet in. I loved Michigan. I loved Michigan as soon as we knew Harbaugh was going to be coming back last year. And then I, I Washington as a team, I also liked a ton. I bet them to win the Pac-12 over the summer. I bet them to make the college ball playoff. I didn't think, though, that they could get to this. I, I thought they could get to this point, but I thought they would still be a tier below the Michigans of the world, the Georges of the world. I didn't think they would be quite at this point where they could actually win the national title. And as the season went along, I changed my tune. And uh, going into college ball playoff week, I I decided I needed to do a little bit of hedging some of my national title futures because I had Michigan, I had Texas. So I got in on Washington at 7-1 to one to win the national championship. So I go into this game sitting with a bet on Michigan at 10-1, to one, a bet on Washington at 7-1 to one to win this game. It's a fun spot to be in, a fun spot to sit. I know I'm going to profit on this game, which is great. Uh, but I'm still going to bet this a few other ways. I still got some angles that I like on it, and the first angle that I like in this game is Washington plus 5.5. If I didn't have these futures already, I would also be betting Washington plus 170. I'd be betting them on the money line. You can get that 170 at points bet, and, and make sure you check. I like to use Vegas Insider as a good resource to see where you can get the best odds because it does vary pretty drastically it's 155 at bet rivers but 170 at points bet and i would be taking washington in this game but i don't really see the need to do it because of my future bets but i am going to take them plus the points because i think in 2023 having an elite offense being able to throw the ball down the field the way washington can having those three receivers having that quarterback in michael Penix is more important than having an elite defense. I think the game has changed in that way where it's easier to dictate a game if you are an offense, if you have a great offense, than if you have a great defense. And I think how this game will play out is that Washington is going to have some success because it's inevitable. It's so hard that all year long they've had success throwing the ball. And you have to be so perfect to shut them down. And Michigan has been perfect against everybody they've played, but they haven't seen a passing game like this Washington offense. And I think Washington will get on the board early. I think it's just so hard to stop them. And yeah, you might say, okay, well, Alabama was really good at throwing the ball deep. Michigan didn't let them do that. The difference is Michael Penix is great at the short and intermediate passes too, where Jalen Milrow really struggles in that area. Jalen Milrow on passes between 10 and 19 yards was 52% for the season. Michael Penix, 67% completion percentage on the season. 
he is really, really good. 11 touchdowns to two interceptions when throwing uh, that, that medium, that intermediate range, that 10 to 19 yards. Michael Penix can do that. Michigan has to respect that. Michigan can't just play the deep ball because he is really good at that too. Washington has a great deep passing game, but Penix can also show throw short he can also use the intermediate passing game I think that's going to be a big difference Michigan has not seen a quarterback has not seen an offense like this Washington team and I just again think in 2024 the offense has the advantage if you have an elite offense it's a lot easier to dictate the game than if you have an elite defense. So I think Washington does score. And I think it puts Michigan in a position where they have to do what they haven't wanted to do all year, which is throw the football. And you look at that sugar bowl and Washington got up on Texas. They were scoring and Texas had some instances where they were running the ball really well, but got off schedule, got behind the chains and couldn't run the ball the way they were, they wanted to, despite the fact that there was a point where they were averaging like seven yards a carry. They ended the game at 6.4 yards per carry, but they got off schedule a little bit and Washington you know, scores on its first two of its first three possessions, scores touchdowns on two of its first three possessions and kept that pressure on Texas. And then you get to that third quarter, which was a disaster for Texas, where Washington gets up and they get up 34-21. And at that point, it was really hard for Texas to run the ball at all from there. And I I kind of see this game going in a similar way where Washington does score and Michigan has to do what I think they can do, but doesn't necessarily want to do because I am a big fan of JJ McCarthy. I think he's a very good quarterback. I like Washington's receivers a lot more than I like Michigan's receivers, but I do like JJ McCarthy and what he can do and look no further than last year's game semifinal game against TCU to see that when Michigan lets J.J. McCarthy go, he can do some things. He can do some things with his arms. He can do some things with his legs, and he can be a really effective quarterback. He did turn the ball over a couple times in that game last year, but he made big plays in that game, and I think he is capable of making big plays in this one as well against a Washington defense that is good but is susceptible to big plays. I mean, let's let's not mistake this. Let's let's make no mistake about this. In this game, in in that Sugar Bowl, uh, Texas made some plays. Texas got the ball down to the 12-yard line with a chance to win it. I mean, Texas put up 31 points and they were close to putting up 38 and winning that game 38-37. It's not like Washington's defense played a perfect game, even though they did get a bunch of sacks. Trice had a great game. They made a great play at the end to deflect that ball in the end zone, but it wasn't a perfect performance. I think Michigan can make some plays on Washington's defense here. I just think in a game, a national championship game like this, I would rather have, if I'm, especially with, if I'm getting points, I'd rather have the elite quarterback. I'd rather have the elite passing game. I'd rather have those elite receivers. And that's why I'm going to take Washington plus five and a half. I also have some player props that kind of go that are correlated with that correlated with how I think the game is going to go. This, uh, this, this style where I think 
Washington is going to have some success passing the ball. They're going to put points on the board early, and Michigan is going to have to throw the ball to keep up with them. So I'm also going to go with J.J. McCarthy over 26.5 pass attempts and Roman Wilson over 44.5 receiving yards. Roman Wilson is by far Michigan's most dynamic receiver. He's their go-to guy, and I think in a game where they're throwing the ball a lot, he, he will be able to clear that number again. If you look back at the TCU game last year, that Fiesta Bowl loss in the college ball playoff semifinal, Roman Wilson in that game uh, had five catches, 104 yards, including a 50-yard reception in that game. So I like Roman Wilson over uh, 44 and a half receiving yards in this game, and I like J.J. McCarthy over 26 and a half passing attempts. McCarthy in the game just last week against Alabama, he threw the ball 27 times. Against Iowa, he threw it 30 times. That number is not outrageous at all, especially if the game goes the way I think it's going to go, where Washington can get some points on the board and, and force Michigan to do what they don't want to do. Now, there is risk in this. I mean, there's risk in every bet, right? That's why it's gambling. That's why it's betting. But if Michigan can find a way to shut Penix down, shut that passing game down early. I think they just want to run the ball. Not I think, I know. If you watch them at all this year, you know what they want to do. If you watch that Penn State game, you know what they want to do. McCarthy only threw the ball eight times in the Penn State game. They want to run the ball and sit on you if they can. They want to shorten possessions or shorten the game and with these long clock killing drives and I think that's a good strategy against Penix that's what I would have done more of if I was Texas if I was Steve Sarkeesian I would have tried to keep Michael Penix off the field so there is some risk if Penix doesn't get off to a hot start early if Washington can't score early but I just think this Washington passing game is too good I just think the offense has too many advantages to be held off the board and I think they're going to put up some touchdowns I think they're going to force Michigan uh, into a, a different kind of game than Michigan is used to playing so my bets are Washington plus five and a half JJ McCarthy over 26 and a half passing attempts and Roman Wilson over 44 and a half receiving yards all of these bets are to win one unit so I am pumped for this championship game it's gonna be a really fun one but we also had a big saturday of college basketball yesterday it was the first saturday of the year where all of the power six conferences if you will had conference play in action and uh that's because the big 12 finally got underway the big 12 the best conference in college basketball and to me it kind of took center stage yesterday it was a big day of of action there the headline game of the day was kansas holding off tcu at home 83 to 81 uh there was a controversial controversial call at the end of the game a flagrant one was called on TCU as they got a rebound Hunter Dickinson got hit in the head uh, they called a flagrant one Kansas ends up getting two shots and the ball back uh, and this was with about a minute or so left in the game. Yeah, it was just under a minute left in the game. TCU would have had the ball up to 
with the ball. And instead, Hunter Dickinson makes a couple free throws. Dewan Harris makes a jumper. And the Jayhawks, instead of being down 79-77 without the ball, go up 81-79 to um, with 43 seconds to go. Then uh, TCU ties it. Dickinson makes a shot with three seconds left in the game and Jameer Nelson's last gasp falls short for TCU. So Kansas wins a squeaker 83 81. And that was probably the the most talked about game of the day. The most controversial game of the day. That clip was being shared all over the place. Uh, Everybody has their own opinions on whether it should have been a flagrant one or not. To me, look, it was a really tough way to lose for TCU. I probably would have preferred that it wasn't called a flagrant one. It didn't seem intentional to me, uh, but I I do kind of also understand why the call was made. I know I'm kind of being 50-50 here on it, uh, being a little wishy-washy, but I can kind of see this one both ways. Ultimately, I would have preferred that it wasn't called. I understand why it was called, and it is a very tough way for TCU to lose. Kansas, to me, when I look at this team, when I watch them play, you look at their record, they're 13 and one. And man, they have four really, really good players on that team. Hunter Dickinson, undoubtedly one of the best players in the country, puts up 30 points in this game. KJ Adams, Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, they have four really, really good players. Those four players, you can match them up against any other four players in the country. There is not a lot else going on right now for Kansas. They only played nine guys in this game. Their guys off the bench played five, 10, one, and 11 minutes. And I just wonder in this Big 12 that is so deep where you're going to have so many battles night in and night out, can they survive with without having somebody else step up? without having a little bit more depth. And they have done it all non-conference season long. They found ways to win. They found another way to win over the weekend. But I think that's my big question for Kansas. And, you know, there's some other things too. Like they turned the ball over a ton in that game, 18 turnovers in the game. But it's also impressive that they're able to find a way to win while turning the ball over 18 times. They only shot... They shot five of 14 from three, which is not terrible at all. I mean, it's 36%, but three-point shooting is also a question for Kansas. When I look at this Kansas team, I think they are a very, very good team, but I want to see them develop a little bit more depth. Now, their probably biggest competitor in the Big 12 is Houston, and I am here to tell you, Houston, to me, looks national championship good. I made the mistake of betting on West Virginia plus 21 against Houston in Houston's home Big 12 opener. Well, Houston wins the game 89-55. They won a conference game by 34 points. And this is a West Virginia team that had just gotten a bunch of guys back. They had gotten Kerr Carissa back. They had gotten Raekwon Battle back, who had been playing fantastic. Noah Farrakhan has been able to play now. And they have looked a lot better they played a close game with ohio state i kind of looked at this team as a team yeah they're five and eight but i think they're going to be able to make some waves in the big 12 and i still think they'll beat somebody and be able to be competitive but it was not to happen 
on Saturday in Houston at the Fertitta Center. Houston looks national championship good. And I keep coming back to this. I always come back to this with Houston. I talked about it a few weeks ago. Their three-point shooting is what has doomed them in the NCAA tournament. You know Houston's going to rebound. You know they're going to play great defense, but it's the three-point shooting that has fallen short in the biggest moments in the NCAA tournament. And LJ Cryer changes that so much for them. The Baylor transfer in this game against West Virginia goes four of seven from the three-point from beyond the arc. He scores 20 points in the game, and he is a guy who's bought in on defense. He brings that scoring ability that he's always had. And on the year, He's shooting over 40% from three. I think he is a huge game changer for them. And I think this is a national championship caliber team in Houston. So that battle between Houston and Kansas this year, that is the thing I am most excited to watch in all of college basketball. And they'll play, they'll play two times this year, which is great. We get the home and home Saturday, February 3rd at Allen Fieldhouse be fantastic and then to close the regular season Kansas goes down to Houston at the Fertitta Center on March 9th so that is my number one thing my number one thing I am most excited about the rest of this college basketball season is the battle in the Big 12 between Houston and Kansas we are going to get into so much more basketball following the national championship game I will be back later this week to recap what goes down in that national championship game and then start diving deeper and deeper into college hoops we got one football game left and then we're gonna go heavy 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 on the hoops that's the show for today thank you for listening until next time keep the girl hot and the cooler cold 